My name is Nissa Coit. What does your first name mean? My first name, it means um, Queen of the Elves, according to my mom, who got <laughs> out of a baby name book in like Colorado, I think is where it was. I have since looked up the etymology of my name online and it does not say that, so I don't know where she got that. Um, but there are these little Scandinavian elves called Nissa or like little Nissa men, and it's spelled N-I-S-S-E. Um, but pronounced like Nissa. Yeah, pronounced like Nissa. Um, so that is what my first name means, it, according to and my can you Okay. And can you spell your first name? N-I-S-S-A. Amazing, because you get called like Nisa a lot, and let's just establish yeah, front I think, and center. I think it's because of Nissan, maybe. And in the UK, <laughs> they pronounce the car Nissan, and I think that people from the UK pronounce my name right. <laughs> I am so amazed. They also, apparently, it's a really common name in like Ireland. It's just like Jennifer. Everybody is named Nissa. My name is Mackenzie Faber F. A B E R, not Mackenzie Saber, like a lightsaber. Uh huh. What does Mackenzie? I get that a lot. Okay, it means son of the wise ruler, which is like bold and brazen of my parents. Why like, is that? A, why I, is that considered like a female name? Is it not? Because it was in the '90s. Mm-hmm. And they could do whatever they wanted. I think because they're, I think it's Scottish, but usually it's Mac. Kenzie with a capital K mm -hmm. and that's more of like a last name so we have son of the wise ruler and and queen of the elves we're royalty over here <laughs> we're royalty we're royalty okay well is that our intro <laughs> I know a lot about like how to taste wine but I went on this I went through this phase where I was watching this like YouTube sommelier and um he oh my god he's cool his name is Andre Mack and he does like how to pair wine with fast food and like he it's like how to pick a nice bottle of wine under $20 and he like tries out a bunch of box wine so it's like not it's like very I would say approachable but um, he was showing you like why people do certain things when they're tasting wine. Because like, when I was waiting tables, I was like, you could tell no one like you were supposed to like pour a little splash for the person who ordered the wine, and you could tell like they didn't know what to do. And I was like, listen, I just do it because they told me to, and you do it because I just did it, and everyone at the table is watching you. Um, <laughs> so basically, like the point of doing a wine and cheese pairing is either like to emphasize the flavors of one or to kind of sh like either the pairings are different and they contrast or they bring out similarities in each other um so it's like the two albums that I was telling you about where I was listening to Olivia Rodrigo having a great time and I was listening to Ethel Kane totally different vibe having a great time and only when I was revisiting this book that I had about archetypes of women and stories that I realized they were the same story but different 
different archetypes. So Olivia Rodrigo is the classic basket case, and Ethel Kane is the classic gothic heroine, and they both, you know, tell stories about women who want to break out of these molds or whatever and what happens. One of them is, you know, quote-unquote insane. She, Olivia Rodrigo talks about being crazy and doing stupid things, and Ethel Kane ends up dead and abducted. Um, and they both kind of carry generational trauma that leads them into different paths. So a wine and cheese pairing is very similar. Um, you can eat cheese and enjoy it just fine. You can drink wine and enjoy it just fine. But when you start mixing them, like, you know, you don't blend them, right? They're still distinct, but you start to notice certain things like, oh, I didn't notice that this wine is actually like a little earthier, or I didn't notice that this cheese is, I don't know, what do people say about cheese? Nutty. Nutty and crumbly. Um, whatever. Um, so they, they bring out different things in each other. So I think the approach we can take to this is very similar. Like you start off with your wine. I'm, it's 11 o'clock in the morning, so I won't do it. I won't actually pour myself wine. But like what people do, which I think is what we're going to do with economy and ecology, is you swish it around and you let it air out because it's been kind of holed up in its own bottle for a while, which I think is true with a lot of like academic subjects. They just kind of like close in on themselves and they suffocate themselves and you want to air it out. So that's why you swish it. Sometimes what people do is they'll put their hand over and swish it. So it kind of just airs out in this little globe. And then you just stick your snoot in there and you inhale through your nose and you exhale through your mouth. So you kind of get, you prime your taste buds for everything they're about to experience. Um, and they say that wine can be like a condiment at a table. Um, it's like salting your food, which is really interesting. And like, I would love to live my life like that, but I think I'd just be drunk all the time. Um, so anyway, so in the spirit of like pouring the wine and sniffing it and seeing what it's like on its own, um, I figure we can do the kind of word association, let the subjects breathe a little bit, and we can start with ecology, and then we can move into economy, and then kind of maybe get at their roots a little bit, and then explain a little bit of why we want to pair them together. Like, mm -hmm. say, I don't know what wine pairs well together, but a classic wine and a classic cheese. Um, <laughs> so... When we think of ecology, what what comes to mind? Like, what is swirling around inside your head? What are the, like, smells that you're smelling? What's the first thing that hits you? So I feel like part of the, the purpose of this is to get sort of a sense of, like, what is the general yeah. um, association with these words since both of us are so heavily steeped in our in our respective fields mm -hmm. we'll probably associate more accurately than yeah just yeah. like a regular person might someone that isn't so steeped so the first thing that came to mind when you said that for me for ecology is a spider web um which oh. is maybe a little bit more nuanced than like oh it's just green and plants and um stuff but yeah, uh, spider web because it's all about like interconnections um, uh -huh. and you know food webs and things. I think that uh, is a good one. And then should I do 
economy too? Well, let, let's stick with ecology for a second. And what's, to stick with the metaphor, what's on the label of this wine bottle? Like what is the classic definition? What are, mm. we, what are we selling ecology as? What, are, what is the classic definition or what do we associate with ecology? What are the notes? Well, let's start with let's start with the varietal. The what what grape are we talking about? What's the the standard definition? Okay, so the standard definition of ecology is the study of the relationships between living organisms with each other and with the non living aspects of their environment. So that includes. Um, well, the, the, the living creatures includes other species that are not the same. So, like, we're talking about, like, a tiger as our focal species. It would be, you know, birds and mice and lizards. And it would also be other tigers. So, both in the same species and, and out of it. And then the uh, non-living aspects would be, you know, rocks, water, elements, weather, uh, things like that. Okay. And it's different from, say, biology or chemistry where you're taking a much broader look at a, a system. Um, biology is still about systems, but it's usually about something that's harder to see. Um, yeah. I would say that ecology is technically a subset, like a field within biology as a larger mm -hmm. sort of study. Um, but I think of this like almost like analytical um, hierarchy in terms of how small are we getting and um, mm -hmm. so, you know, I would say, like, ecology is the study of lots of things interacting in organisms that are alive, and then biology is the study of that life itself, and then chemistry is the study of the chemicals that interact and the molecules that interact to make up life, and then if you go even further down, you are talking about, like, just electrons and balls bouncing into each other, and you've started to talk about physics, the physics that underlies chemistry, and then beyond physics is, like, math, and then if you keep going, you're at, like, philosophy <laughs> yeah so. which is a helpful point to bring up because as I was looking through the history of economy I remembered that actually most things started out under the branch of philosophy um mm -hmm. so that's that's really helpful um there's this, there's this Wikipedia trick that if you click on the first blue link on any Wikipedia article within like five or ten clicks you'll get to the Web, the wikipedia page for philosophy so it's <laughs> i was about so, to be like oh like let's try it right now i have wikipedia pages open and the wikipedia pages i have open are literally numismatics um chromatistics that's labor just theory of value it's all it's all already philosophy so it would not yeah. be interesting um, um but yeah it's like a horseshoe and and like the 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 apex of the horseshoe is philosophy you know, yeah all the way back and to philosophy go. and then you come back down the other side and you've got economy amazing yeah i i appreciate you giving more of like an expert kind of first impression um because i you know i know my way around an ecosystem but it's still you know the things that linger from when i actually studied it are really just those impressions mm -hmm. um so what are right. your impressions? The first thing that comes to mind is always some illustration in a textbook 
of a given habitat with like arrows pointing between creatures and subsets showing their internal makeup and it's a lot about community populations and uh like those different like when I think of ecology I think of nested diagrams I think is a a more succinct way to put it um and I think about you know we had an outdoor lab when I was a kid and it was run by this like old dude named Mr. Hawkins who made all of these field guides himself with like pen and ink drawings and they were all made on the typewriter and they had been using the same one since the 70s and it was the place we went for field trips where you would put on your boots and play with frogs and like identify trees and that's a lot of what I think about. It's a lot about discovery of what's outside and treating the world outside like it's actually a science. Um, yeah, I like whenever I think of ecology, like it kind of like makes me smile. <laughs> it just feels kind of fun. Um, I think of critters. It's the science mm-hmm. of critters in their place, um, which I think actually makes it really hard not to connect with economy because in a lot of ways economy is the study of humans as critters in their place um but with a whole bunch of bolt tacked on (laughs) so okay first impression of economy when i was starting to do a little research before our little conversation Um, I was thinking a lot about Amanda Janu and the presentation she gave. And what she started with was this, like the first impression of economy. When you go into Google Images and you search economics, what comes up? And it's always the same thing where it's a picture of a graph with arrows that all go up and then red ones that crash down. And they're all zigzags and you get pictures of stock market things that I don't understand and like I'm looking at a website right now the American Economic Association the page that says what is economics it's three pictures at the very top the first one is of a stock exchange with flags and numbers in green and red and black with lots of decimals the picture right next to it is of shipping containers at a port um in a place that I would not call inspiring. Um, And then the third picture on the very right is this dude welding and it's like filthy and there's sparks flying everywhere and it's all kind of like gray and blue. And if those were the tasting notes for wine, I would gag and like (laughs) return it. Um, (laughs) Like nothing makes me less interested then that, if that is the world that I'm going to be immersing myself in, no thank you, I'm not interested. Like I really, as a kid, that's what I thought economics was about. And I hated it, I like became a communist at the age of 10 and I was like, economics is horrible. Um, But actually, like now that I know, like, like 
what I think of when I think of economics is nothing like that. I mean, I think of it as a thing that people think about in a weird kind of meta way. But when I think of economics, I think of um, my first day of, of macro, where my professor was like, essentially, if you have one hour between classes, you can either go eat food or you can take a nap, but you cannot do both. And your time is scarce. Your resources are scarce. Economics is the study of whether you go take a nap or if you go eat lunch. Um, and that's how he explained opportunity cost, which is super foundational. So economics is usually defined today as the study of scarcity, um, the study of making trade-offs, recognizing that we don't have infinite access to time, money, resources. And I can't help but think right off the bat that it's not, how do I put this? Something that never really gets mentioned there is that it's also the study of how people face different types of scarcity. I guess I can say it like that. You know that meme where it's like Beyonce also only has 24 hours in a day, like you can do anything? Like, it's actually not true. Beyonce has people who watch her children for her. She has um, houses in different places. She has means to things that, that make it so that she doesn't have to make trade-offs. You know? Like, she doesn't either have to go to work or pick her kid up from school. So when we think about economics, we're also thinking about the sort of unequal life chances and the ways that scarcity exists for some people and doesn't for others. And of course, like we can, when we get into the history, we can get into the way that actually um, that definition has not been static the entire time. Um, for, it hasn't been static for all of human history, but um, that's usually what we think about. So we think about allocating resources to meet our needs in the face of scarcity. So we have those, and I guess it makes sense to point out that the reason we pair them together is because they share a root word, right? In, in Greek, it's oikos, which means home. Right. Um, so the history of ecology is a long one, and since it is such a broad topic, like you could kind of say that anything is ecology, and it, it's probably mm -hmm. kind of true too of economics like it is such a broad definition that there's like everything there's scarcity there's always going to be uh choices being made there's always going to be interactions happening um but like the the actual so like prior to ecology as like a real study there was something called natural history which was you know classic naturalists you think of like Charles Darwin and um, like Linnaeus and they were kind of just going out into nature and like seeing what was there and observing it like it hadn't hadn't been done before in quotations um, because obviously indigenous people already kind of knew what was there oftentimes we um, had to yeah <laughs> but um, when we're talking about like European a lot of I mean a lot of these like classical, fields of study are going to be rooted in, in European academics. Um, 
but natural history was sort of viewing things in like the static way like this is all of these organisms are immutable and they're unchangeable and they were placed here by god and anything that's not in like in the form of the the, the typical is some kind of aberration and is like messed up um and so natural history was kind of just like, okay, here's this plant. We're going to call it this. This is what it looks like. And this is where it lives, um, period. It didn't really look as much into like how things were interacting until later on it started to develop into more of an interactive field of study. So um, the term ecology was coined by an, uh, a naturalist and back then everyone was everything they were like naturalists and artists and doctors but this man um, Ernst Haeckel he said that ecology this is the the definition um, that he said in something called the general morphologie de organisme um, I think Ooh. he was German but it, oh, I, was, it was, I was literally about to say bonjour <laughs> no, no I think he's German, German. Okay. <laughs> oh maybe it, was in, maybe it was in French actually because French was like the academic language back then. Um, but his definition was, by ecology, we mean the body of knowledge concerning the economy of nature, um, which he took from, I think, Darwin. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that. But the economy of nature, the investigation of the total relations of the animal, both to its organic and its inorganic environment, including, above all, its friendly and inimical inimical relations with those animals and plants with which it comes directly or indirectly into contact. In a word, ecology is the study of all the complex interrelations, interrelationships referred to by Darwin as the conditions for the struggle for existence. So Darwin was sort of first. They already had an idea about natural selection, and so this is the point at which they're kind of like, oh, wait, maybe things do change. Maybe they are interacting, and maybe those interactions are shaping the way things change. Um, mm. So, yeah. And, like, already the thread of scarcity and abundance is there and it's feeling really interesting the more we kind of put these two things together. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thing that I can't stop thinking about is the struggle for existence, mm -hmm. which, can you remind me when that definition is from? 1866. Okay, that's really interesting. I guess one of the, like, not that it was a secret, but one of the things that's most interesting about economy and ecology is this idea of scarcity and abundance. Like, it's this constant struggle of, like, oh, we don't have enough. Like, we always need more. Like, we always need more stability. We always need more resources in order to, you know, win the struggle for existence. And, like... As we were talking, it just kind of hit me, like, existence is kind of the thing that comes most naturally to us. Like, literally, you don't have to think about it. You are simply born. Hello. Welcome to existence. Mm -hmm. And, like, everything else tells us that it's, like, like, not to say that it's not a miracle that we're here, but, like, actually, our starting point is one of abundance. And... Both of these fields are about turning everything into something. Well, not to speak for the ecological part, but economy is literally about turning the world around you, your ecosystem, your, your home, into a resource that 
sustains you in Mm -hmm. a world defined by competition and um, seeing everyone as as someone who will, you know, eat your snacks and steal your home. Originally, economics was conceived by the ancient Greeks as the efficient organization of where one lived, hence its root, root in the words oikos, household, and nomos, management as distinguished from the art of numismatics or the study of wealth accumulation. So I was like, oh, like, let's look at numismatics. Actually, numismatics is defined by Wikipedia um, as the study or collection of currency, including coins, tokens, paper, money, metals, and related objects. So the actual study of wealth or um, accumulation is crematistics. And this, this, I think, is really helpful in understanding what economics is. So this is where it all ties back to philosophy, right? Economics was about managing your home for well-being, right? And crematistics was seen as this kind of deviation of it. Accumulation of wealth was, was seen as a bad thing. Um, and you must have done so through illegal means. Like, there's no way that you just kind of accumulate wealth. Um, Money in this world was literally just greasing the wheels. It was just there to facilitate equal exchange, not to add value that someone else could hoard later. And anyway, like, there's this idea that economics is about something good, and that comes from an idea of abundance. And, like, everyone has everything they need, and we are just trying to, like make it so that we can thrive. And crematistics is the kind of, I was thinking about it like the Gollum theory, where it's just like you like have to hold on to it because it's the most valuable thing and you just hold on to this weird thing that like you just hold on to the medium for its own sake, which when you put it like that makes it sound really f-ing weird. <laughs> and like in an ecosystem, if you do that, it's to the detriment of everyone else. So something that kind of comes to mind with like the economy of nature aspect Mm -hmm. of the term ecology is, and we can get into this a bit more, but like competition is one of the main things that sort of drives natural selection. Like if we go back to physics, we can say that like the, what is it? The second law of thermodynamics. Okay. So actually it's the law of conservation of matter. That is a physics law like we haven't figured out any examples of when it's not true, but like in a system, a closed system that is, um, matter cannot be created or destroyed. And the same Mm -hmm. is true for energy. And if we're all made up of matter and we're all using energy to get around and live, um, of course there's going to be competition. And in, in an ecosystem, it's like you, it's kind of like eat or be eaten. Mm Um, and, like, if you're better at getting your resource, then you'll have a better chance of passing on your genetics and whatever caused you to be better at it will um, will be passed on too, mm-hmm. depending on the trait. So that sort of seems like at least the idea of economics at the time seemed to really relate to the idea of ecology that they were developing, especially around the time of Darwin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can really see why they would have called it the economy of nature 
yeah. even though now as we know more there's more nuance of things cooperating and economies don't necessarily have to be so competitive but at the time it really does look like a strong parallel like sometimes we talk about the economy as if it's a super organism and in some ways it is like when we talk about social institutions like like yes they're made up they're not it's not real in the way that like this wine glass is real um but it still exerts force on you and it has very real impacts um it's it's more like gravity um in that gravity is like like gravity wasn't hiding out behind a rock waiting for some dude to find it right people noticed things happening they grouped these phenomenon together and then gave it a name and then from there they could talk about it and build on the idea the economy is pretty similar um and same with ecology exactly right and um like, it, it shapes the way that you start to make sense of the world. So when you start out with economy as this thing that's more philosophical and it's trying to understand human behavior and trying to understand, like, how you build a good life, it takes on a different life. And really, like, the big thing that happened is industrialization and then economy became political economy and it was about, like, oh, like, how do you, like manage a state instead of just like a household so it becomes this thing that like when we start treating it like a science in the way that we try to understand it by isolating it from everything else it starts to become more abstract and it starts to feel more like a machine rather than something that like we have shaped in the past and can shape in the future like Mm -hmm. even though it can feel like a brick house. You can still change a brick house. It's just hard. Mm-hmm. You can change the qualities of the brick house to make it more like something that you actually want. And like I think part of what makes looking at economy with ecology so interesting is that it kind of encourages you to put yourself back into a system rather than kind of doing the like reductive science thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know. The thing that really seems important to me as an ecologist getting into economy mm-hmm. is that, you know, to me it seemed, it's, it's always felt like, oh, mo- money is fake. You know, it's just this yeah. social thing that we've put up. A lot of our economic systems are fake. Like everyone decides to sell their stocks at the same time. And so all of a sudden it's not valuable anymore. That obviously is not really, like, it affects people's lives, but it isn't really rooted in reality. Yeah. uh, Quote, unquote. But resources and value is real. I remember being a kid thinking, like, getting so confused about dollar bills. I was like, why don't we just trade logs? Because you could burn logs. You know, it has actual physical value that could serve you to increase your survival or whatever. Um, But... When you think about economies as being linked to ecologies because the thing that backs up money, the thing that creates value, those resources, those are finite. And that's Mm -hmm. like an ecological fact. Like, as I said, matter cannot be created or destroyed. We have a certain number of, you know, coal 
mines that we can get out. We have a certain amount of food that can be farmed on land, um, et cetera. And so ultimately, like if we're not protecting the ecological resources, then our economy, like our economies are fake or, or they will be when right. we run out of those resources. Right. So economies is just like, like another layer on top of ecology because all of those resources and the, the, like the cycling of nutrients and other elements is mm-hmm. something we have to keep in mind when we're talking about resources and scarcity because that's ultimately what it goes back to. Something that I think is helpful is to recognize that economics and money were not always the same thing. Um, like when it becomes about when economics becomes the same thing as capitalism and the study of capitalism, that's when things get because like capitalism is actually kind of the opposite of managing one's home. It'd be like the Winchester Mystery House. Like, do you ever hear the story of the Winchester Mystery House? No. Okay. Basically, this heiress, like, thought she was haunted by her family, and she thought there was, like, a curse out on her family, and essentially she had to keep building the house or someone would die. Um, I forget if it was her, but the thing is, like, she thought she was cursed. If she didn't keep building this house, something horrible would happen. And she just started building stupid shit. Like, there's, like, a... There's a door that literally goes to nowhere. It's just a door, and if you open it, you just fall into the ground. But she just kept building shit. And she, like, didn't have anyone to live in the house. It was just her. And, like, of course she started thinking it was haunted. Because, like, if you're living in this huge house, that makes no sense. And it's this constant reminder of how you have to, you literally cannot stop. Like, of course you're going to start to feel like there's something haunting you or just constantly like breathing on the back of your neck um like that's what that's what it is it's the stupidest accumulation of resources it goes against the kind of classic idea of what economy is and what your home should be and it turns it into something really grotesque and you it's like when um like when you're really hungry and everything just starts to look like food, like a cartoon. Like, so like someone becomes like a talking cheeseburger. Like everything that is your, your ecosystem becomes fodder for economic growth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like if economics was about political economy or the, the economy of a state, for a while, like, of course it makes sense that it's going to get turned into, like, well, how do we become the biggest? How do we become the most imperial? How do we take everything? And it expands the idea of what a home is into, well, the whole world. Well, okay, that's not big enough. Now we need space. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess. But then, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, like, there's microeconomics. That's, like, the economy of the home and that's where where it kind of probably kind of originated or at least the word oikos got enmeshed in this um but 
I feel like what's cool about comparing ecology and economy and getting back to that root word of oikos is there's the economy, the, the home of your immediate surroundings, your actual like family home. Mm-hmm. And then there's the economy of your community. There's the home that is your bigger community. There's the home that is your country. There's the home that is our world. Mm-hmm. Like we're all at home here on earth. And that's when we get kind of back. That's like where the line kind of goes into ecology where like our home is our ecosystem. Our home is this planet yeah. and it is finite and there is scarcity, but in a good way, like we can't keep growing and growing um, ecologically or um, economically. Yeah. And like, I guess managing scarcity doesn't have to mean competition. It can mean collaboration and coordination and planning and a sort of recognition that it does it doesn't do you any good to be the only person at the end with everything. Like if a, a different organism did that, it'd be insane. They're supposed yeah. to kind of look out. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. They're supposed to like look out for like the the general well-being of like the species or whatever. Right. Well, I mean, not to get anthropo like anthropomorphizing, Please but do. It's not so much like it, well, actually it's too, easy to too, understand that way. I mean, well, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm trying to go against okay. anthropomorphizing in saying like that, you know, organisms, let's say an animal, it, it can try to have all of the resources and outcompete everything. And there's these things, so there's like sinusoidal, so like a sine curve, mm-hmm. um, like up and down um, diagrams of like predator prey populations. Mm-hmm. So, oh, can you hear me? I can. Speaking of organisms, it's okay. wanting resources. It's very cute. Come here, organism. <laughs> Come get your resources. She's like, I crave um, nutrient. <laughs> um, but so like as the, say the, pre- so we'll make it simple. We'll talk about like rabbits and, and foxes. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's like a hundred rabbits, that is enough food for say like, I don't know, 20 foxes, right? If there's a lot of foxes eating all the rabbits, then eventually, like, the fox population will go up if they're eating lots and lots of rabbits. They, they eat more rabbits. They can have more babies, etc. And so their population goes up. But then, once they've eaten all those rabbits, once their population goes up and they don't have enough rabbits, we again, scarcity, their population will go back down. And then the rabbit population will increase because there's fewer foxes to eat them. So I think about, like... In ecology, the organisms aren't saying like, oh, I need to maintain my population. I need to not eat so many rabbits. It's just like it's just like a self-regulating system where if there's more consumption, then there will be, um, you know, less resources. And so there will be less consumption and it's it's a negative feedback. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like we don't have that in capitalism. Right. But if we had a more ecological economy, maybe we could. Right. And, like, an economy actually based in place because mm-hmm. it becomes really easy to eat all the rabbits if someone else just brings you rabbits from another part of the world and you don't have to ask questions about how their population's doing or whatever. Like, it, the right. like scarcity can be a helpful tool. It feels like right now, especially in the United States, that there is no scarcity because yeah. you can always go to the grocery store. But... The reason that's possible is because of use of fossil fuels and exploitation of different people in different places. Yeah. Like, it yeah. is actually scarce. It is. But we, we don't feel that it is because we're taking it from somewhere that we don't see. Right, right. 
And like it, even when we do feel like there's like the thing is, this is interesting. I am in this mindset of like, Oh, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I need more because actually like the, every resource has been reduced to money and I don't have a lot of money, but in a, a lot of other ways, I actually do have plenty, right? Like I have plenty of people who support each other. I have like plenty of space in the backyard. I have like plenty of all of these things, except they're all just out of reach because money is the thing that unlocks all of them. And that, that is a thing that people experience scarcity of. So it's manufactured scarcity kind of which is bonkers. And what's funny is people, a lot of classical economic thinkers generally thought that like an organism, an economy was inclined toward equilibrium and it would just kind of sort itself out. And economies actually do follow, at least the economy that we have now, follows the same kind of boom and bust cycle. That's as if the foxes just kept eating rabbits and mm-hmm. then all the foxes died off because there were no more rabbits. Mm-hmm. And then the rabbit population exploded because there were no foxes to eat them. Right. Like that's generally what the economy does, mm-hmm. except there's no, like it doesn't equal itself out because of the way we've built it. Right. Because we can just source from someone else, from somewhere else and kind of coerce people into giving us their resources. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't the only way of thinking about an economy. Like, people, as long as they have formed human societies, I guess, have been figuring out, like, how, who gets what, who goes where, how much do we need, how much can we leave, how much work do we need to put in to get what we need to keep doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, like, social pressure was kind of the thing that, like regulated the whole system. Like that's kind of where you get the Eleanor Ostrom versus Garrett Hardin thing. Like, Speaking of Garrett Hardin, that's an interesting yes. connection between like tragedy of the commons was originally an economic paper that was yeah. then applied to ecological systems and then used to justify eugenics. <laughs> I feel like just like uh, maybe this is just based on recent experience, but like the same way that you can like click the first link in the Wikipedia article and get to philosophy. I feel like everything that I learned in school is like only a couple Wikipedia clicks away from eugenics. And it really yeah. scares me. <laughs> Not really. uh, um, like, damn it. So it's, the eugenicists do be everywhere. And it's hard because like, the the way that like if you think about economics and ecology in like a very narrow framework it's easy Super to see crude. how those yeah. those connect those conclusions get made and it's like you have to continue to remember to keep taking the blinders off and looking at it as a system yeah like a complex yeah. system with confounding variables that it's yeah. like actually there's the reason that it's like this is because of all these other reasons that you're not attributing it to yeah like the the book that I was telling you about that goes into all the different archetypes of girls and stories 
it was like trying to, to explain like what it's like to live in a world when you've kind of like you know you've seen the the shadow you've like whatever that cave allegory thing is like you've seen the other side and you know what's making the shadows now and you can't ever unsee it mm-hmm. um she was like it's kind of like squinting at toast until the face of jesus materializes mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like once, once you see Jesus, there's no going back to regular toast. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what this feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, like, sometimes you just want your regular toast, but that is simply not what toast is anymore. Right. Um, but, yeah, like the – yeah, it's funny. I learned about Garrett Hardin in my ecology class, and it just got applied to everything, like population curves and carrying capacity and then, like, human population studies and it implies that actually ecosystems are stupid like it implies that like they don't have these things built in because because we didn't have one built in Mm -hmm. um and the argument that he makes is essentially like throw people off the boat poor people can't fit on the boat sorry yeah you can't afford them Mm-hmm. And, like, what Eleanor Ostrom does is use the idea of social pressure as, like, a check on the system. Mm-hmm. And she's like, actually, people can function in healthy systems. And if, yeah, what? what? No, keep going. I'm going to um, go on. I was just going to say, like, like, if people develop systems for cooperation, then it's fine. People can continue to live in societies with scarcity and it can feel like abundance and it's not competition it's cooperation right so i want to i want to talk about um well first of all let's define like what is a system and how do the systems form because it seems like there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between how an ecosystem forms and Mm -hmm. how an economy forms so a system the way that i understand it is it has three basic parts. A system has its elements, so it's got pens and pencils and phones and wine glasses and human beings and all this other shit. It's got relationships that pull the elements together. They say, oh, Nissa and Mackenzie are elements of the system and their relationship is coworkers and friends. And then there are functions, there are purposes. The elements are organized in relationships to meet a certain end. It's not always the end that they explicitly say is their purpose. Um, You can really only understand the system's purpose by observing its behavior. Um, And once you have those three basic building blocks of purpose, relationships, and elements, then you start noticing different things about how systems behave, right? Then you start to get things that are organized in um, positive or negative feedback loops, right? The relationship is such that certain elements keep increasing or certain things get out of control, certain new functions or goals emerge. That's another really important thing about systems is that they're emergent. They're not, you know, they have those goals that you can kind of observe but you can't really predict a system's behavior 100% because the longer they continue to spin their wheels and do their thing, 
two plus two starts to equal five. You start to get new things that you, you know, couldn't have anticipated before. Mm -hmm. um, when you see things as a system, you understand an element through its place in the system. You don't understand an element by getting closer and closer and analyzing its own elements. Um, what do you want to add? The thing that comes to mind for me is like in an ecosystem, one of the things that like the interactions that we see, like so for example, with a food web, um, mm -hmm. we've got a lot of different things going on. This thing eats these 10 things that those 10 things are all being eaten by 10 other things. And, uh, they're all eating 10 things and it's like way more complicated than that. And, and not just with eating things, but, uh, when you remove one part of the system, the, the food web, unexpected cascading effects can occur. So I'm sure this is true with other types of systems besides food webs and ecosystems, but you can't always see all of the connections and you should kind of assume that those connections are important. Or the more connections that you have, the more diversity in those connections, the more resilient the system is so that if you were to remove one element of the system the rest of it can kind of just fill in and like heal the wound um, mm -hmm. because there's lots of different redundancies built in so um like i think sy systems are also about not necessarily as you said it's emergent you're not able to really predict it and Sometimes it's hard to see what those quote-unquote goals are or what the outcomes can be unless you zoom out and out and out and look at it as a whole, which is not always easy. Mm -hmm. And that's why ecology is so interesting because biology is, about, is a lot, I would say, more reductive. If you're looking at specific interactions between like two organisms or even between like molecules in a single organism. And when you zoom out, the ecology can get really complicated. Um, and that's mm -hmm. why there's so many different subfields within ecology, like population ecology, community ecology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Systems are super complex. And another thing is if you've decided that the system is creating a problem, there's no way to just solve the problem. So similar to what you mentioned, if there are redundancies in the system and you pull one element out, right? It's not, it's going to change. It's going to keep doing its job, but it's still going to change. You can't just pull one thing out of a system and expect it just to kind of like snap back in and keep on chugging along. Like if, say we look at our team as a system, right? Like it's you, me, Connor, Nicole, and we, you know, we had Nikasi for a while. So when Nikasi left, right, like there were already redundancies. You and I already did things that kind of overlapped. So we absorbed different things. And the system can continue to basically fulfill its goal of the grant. Um, but that doesn't mean, like the system still, still changed. The relationship that we have to each other and the work and the college and everything like that changed once you took one thing out. Um, but say Connor 
I don't know, decided to leave and start a cat rescue full time and like moved to Iowa. I don't know. Like, let's say Connor's suddenly just inexplicably gone. We don't have any redundancies for Connor. And suddenly we might say, well, okay, like we, our goal is no longer to create this sort of video content or whatever. Like our goal is going to shift to do more of the sort of stuff that we can do on our own. Like there's no way to solve a problem in a system that you can only intervene. Mm -hmm. So, and like that, that becomes the case with ecosystems and economies all the time. Yeah. So how do these systems develop? I'm, I typically, I mean, let, let me see. I have been excited to see the parallels between the development of economies and, and, and like political systems and mm-hmm. natural selection, the way that like, they're not these conspiracies necessarily that people decide, Hey, this is how it's going to be. We're going to have set these rules out. Although that is sometimes the case with certain governments, but, um, it's, it's, as you said, emergent. Um, and sometimes it's like self-selecting. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, you know, if, if a certain, um, strategy in an ecosystem or an economy gives you the resources or, um, uh, the resources to, to reproduce and have more offspring, um, or have more disciples in the way that you think and do things, then, there's going to be more of you. And so like statistically, there's going to be more people or organisms doing it in this way. And so then it kind of spreads. So um, another another ecological concept that goes along with that is um, succession. And mm-hmm. succession is like this autogenic change where the the way that the system is working creates changes that makes the system change. So in ecological succession, this is how, like, a complex ecosystem community can change. Um, <clears throat> so imagine you have, like, a forest with lots of different trees and plants and animals and fungi and all these different organisms interacting. And then it's suddenly disrupted by, like, a catastrophic volcanic eruption that, like, levels the entire ecosystem to, like, rock, basically. Like, lava has covered it all. There's no life. And it's just rock. Um, and then you get some organisms that can live on bare rock, like lichen can break down that rock. And as more lichen develops on the rock, the enzymes that they produce breaks down the rock. And then those, those lichen will complete their life cycle and some of their pieces will slough off and they'll start to decompose. And just by being there and living the way that they're living, they've produced these changes in the makeup of the ecosystem. Now there's organic material and it's more... Um, nutritious and so some of these other organisms come in that can live in this more nutritious environment like bigger plants for example and then those plants outcompete the lichen and so there's less lichen but now there's more of these bigger plants and they're starting to like the lichen created an environment just by being there that produced by making these a changes home in the place yeah by by making these changes so the way that those types of systems develop like more complexity or just different it doesn't even necessarily have to be more or less blank um it seems like that's also how sometimes these economic systems or political systems develop would you say that's 
the case? Do economic systems get selected for kind of in the same way that yeah. uh, like traits can be selected for? Yeah. If you produce more offspring, there's going to be more traits, so they're, mm-hmm. you know, ad infinitum. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good trait. It just, it's right. self-selected or it was right. selected for. Um, and then those are changes that can happen as well just because of the way that, yeah. that it is. Yeah. I mean, I would say historically, like, that has generally been how it's gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's kind of, it reminds me a lot of how, like, when I was a kid, I was really nice and I was, like, really helpful. And, like, I always, like, tried to do it. And I was always surprised and disappointed when, like, it didn't work out for me in the end. And, like, like you know, people who are, like, a little bit more competitive and a little bit more cutthroat, like, tended to do better. Um, and then you have a bunch of people that are cutthroat and... Exactly. Like, those are the exactly. successful ones. Right. So, capitalism in particular has been really good at that. And just, it, like the lichen, it completely transforms its landscape. Because, again, it sees the world as a frontier it's fresh resource to be exploited and those lichen are called pioneer organisms by the way yeah and they use like back then they used lichen and stuff as like justification like well the lichen do it so so can i you know (laughs) oh my god but the lichen are only doing it like that because you framed it in your weird worldview um like the thing is like i think about this a lot like i have a lot of space behind my house that I like uh, that I would love to turn into like a sort of like living landscape and like I you know I can grow a lot of food on on an acre um and my landlord views that piece of land in a completely different way Mm -hmm. and the system the the political economic system is going to be more inclined to support my landlord in maybe building another house back there um, instead of me saying like, hey, what if we did a little community garden and we cared for the community in that way, right? Like there, the, the landlord is basically like this setup is tenuous. And if the accumulation of more, the accumulation of profit, which Remember, if we go back to that definition of economics that the Greeks had, it was not about adding value. Now, economics is all about adding value, right? You buy a house not for the well-being of the people who live in it, but mostly because it's an investment for later. Um, There's a whole art and science to buying homes for making money. That land that's behind my house is continuously shaped by its potential for profit making right Mm -hmm. it's not maximized for community care social systems the way that it was described to me is like being in a maze um in that like you're pissed off because there are all these walls around you that are shaping which way you can go but at the same time if there are no walls if you look around and you know you're in a maze, but there's you're just in that kind of blank white room that you see in like a dream sequence, that is also going to make you crazy. Mm-hmm. So the 
an effective and resilient social system um, or a social institution like the economy allows you to feel like you have enough freedom to move, but not so much freedom that you don't understand what's expected of you and you don't understand what your own goal is. Um, and capitalism functions very much like that. You feel like you have some agency and some choice, but actually you don't have that much choice. Like you can choose what job you want, but you still have to get a job because you still have to pay for essential things. So capitalism is really good at shaping both the, the physical landscape, shaping the yard behind my house so that it, it can one day become like a housing complex and shaping our, our kind of mental landscape in terms of what we even think is possible. Like, I didn't ask my landlord if I could do, like, a giant community garden back there because I know that they're going to say no, and I know that I'm going to, you know, my idea of what's possible is like, oh, well, you know, I tried doing the community garden thing once before, but I didn't have enough money, and I didn't have enough time to work for money and run this thing that fed people and made people really happy and was beautiful. Right. Like beauty it doesn't really have like unless people come can come visit the farm or whatever, it doesn't really have much value. It just is enough to kind of keep you going so that you keep working. Yeah. So the idea of capitalism behind capitalism is to like well, capital, you have money and you want to use it to make more money and I correct me if I'm wrong but like the idea from like Adam Smith was that that capital would like the freedom and the capital would kind of produce efficient systems that worked for more people like if you have more money then you're going to give it to your employees and you're going to have like make more jobs and stuff yeah and neoliberalism is the idea that like you're free to make as much money as you can and everything else will work out right like there's not very many regulations the the example that comes to mind with like the self-selection and like the kind of the ways that these types of things manifest is this example I think it was in bullshit jobs by David Graeber and he was talking about how um people will go to law school with the idea that they're going to make a difference because I mean that's a logical conclusion like a lot of the yeah societal things end up you know they they are the result of laws and regulations so maybe you want to be an environmental lawyer or like a like a public defense attorney you go to law school and it's so expensive that you get these extreme student loans that you will like not be able to survive with unless you take a really high paying corporate job at which point you're totally indoctrinated and immersed in this this lifestyle like lifestyle creep, but also like the culture of making money to make money that a lot of people mm -hmm. kind of forget their original like ideas about why they wanted to become a lawyer in the first place. So the way that the system is creates more people that want to make more money and then that yeah. makes the system yeah. worse. And if we had different rules, like maybe less student loans or something, um, then we would be able to engineer like different maze guidelines, different blinders on our mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. I mean, depending on who you're talking to, what those rules would be would be different. But that makes me think of like, we can't necessarily overcome our evolution. 
And I, I think that there's a lot to be gained by approaching um, medicine, psychology, and work from like an evolutionary perspective. Darwinian medicine is a thing. Like how, do, how, how have we evolved to eat? What kind of, like you can't just decide, you know what, my gut is longer and, and I can eat trees. You know, like that's, no, don't eat trees because you don't have don't. the same gut as a koala. Like you have evolved to not <laughs> eat trees. Um, and so if you want to stay healthy, don't eat trees. On the other hand, we do have the ability to circumvent some of our evolutionary creations through med- modern medicine, drugs, and GMOs, you know? Like we can make different rules now in this modern world. Yeah. And, and that's a controversial topic. Maybe it's not a good thing. So in the same way that you can't, change your evolution or maybe you shouldn't but you should maybe change the rules around your society and your economy what say you yeah (laughs) i mean the idea that so i think a lot about how all of those interventions are really just functioning as new frontiers um and we start to see our own bodies as frontiers and as a source of more capital for people who really don't have much else that's that's why people sell their labor mm-hmm. um and it distracts us from our connection to place you know it, it it's straight it's the icarus daedalus thing like just because you build better wings doesn't mean you should like as you are building your wings, you are disregarding everything else that's going on beneath you, and you start to think that you're separate from it. Mm-hmm. And what would it mean to... It, well, and, you know, and, like, let's just put it this way, those sorts of technologies are not actually meeting the existing need that people have. Like, there are preventable diseases that you know, can and should are are reasonable to intervene in. And instead, because capitalism is not about meeting human needs, it's not about, you know, making AIDS medication affordable. It's not about kind of any of the many, many, it's not about getting people enough folic acid. It's not about getting people enough iron, whatever. It's literally about whatever intervention can increase profit and capital for a select group of people right so if an intervention that makes you able to eat trees is gonna make you a lot of money that's what people are gonna that's where the the funding and the resources and the conversation goes Mm -hmm. and that's when i start to see these things as super parallel right because under a different system it would be super illogical to to try and do that like your time would be much better spent doing literally anything else. Unless, unless, suddenly you live in a world where there's only trees. Right. And it's either eat the tree or die. Yeah. But in, in the world we have now, it's, it's an experiment for rich people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even though this is, like, hypothetical and it's not real, like, there are so many cases of this. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole, like, designer baby argument. Like, no. <laughs> and I, I think, like... If we're, if it's about home and 
finding your place in the world, it has to be of this world, right? Like, technologies shouldn't exist to help you escape from the world. They should be to help you live in it, mm -hmm. and they should be for the sake of collective thriving and cooperation. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't, I, you know, if I want, if I'm moving, right, and I have to load up the moving truck, I want my partner to be in, like, tip-top shape. I want them to have a good breakfast. I want them to sleep. Like, it, it benefits everyone when everyone is in just basic good shape. And a lot of, a lot of the problems that need intervention are their direct result of an exploitation in the first place. Like, famine is not a nat like, the Irish potato famine wasn't just because people forgot how to grow potatoes. Yeah. Like, we don't, we wouldn't it, need golden that, rice yeah. if we didn't have monocrops. No! Exactly! Like, y'all made the f problem, now you're trying to sell me a stupid solution? Like, no, absolutely not. So, yeah, like, that's the thing. A lot of, like, there's scarcity that is, like, very real. And then there's scarcity that's manufactured mm -hmm. and is bold and is there because of, like, you know, you have an abundance of other things that somehow you can only access through money. Like, I could, I could build my edible landscape if I could buy this house, which I can't. So, yeah. Well, one thing that I do want to, that I'm thinking about a lot is like, it feels very intuitive for us to pair these things together. But like, when I was learning about ecology and environmental studies in like the early 2000s, the conversation was always, oh, are you going to protect the environment or the economy? Like, <laughs> sorry what and like the way that that just shaped like my entire idea of what's possible mm -hmm. and like it the, like it shaped the kind of training that I thought I had to get in order to like single-handedly fix the climate crisis and like actually that's stupid actually like that should never have been the question in the first place mm -hmm. the the question is like, how do we align our ecosystem, or how do we align our economic system with the wisdom from ecology? How do you actually make an economic system that's about finding your home in the world and inviting more people into the home and learning how to, you know, not accumulate wealth? And to and operate and, within, uh, like, yeah. the confines of ecological reality yeah. that we cannot escape from. Yeah. We can only, like, kick right. down the road. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, like, looking back, like, that makes me so mad. Like, and it was just whatever, like, I remember so many people were doing, like, mental gymnastics to defend the whole, like, oh, you should choose the environment over the economy. The environment Which, like, is the economy worked. and vice versa. The, like, yeah, they are the like, same where thing. do you think... They're the same thing. Where do you think we got all this shit from? <laughs> like, like, and it feels fake because of like fiat currency that is literally just paper with like just like vibes behind it. But like, it's actually like there's a very real foundation for all of this. If I had both a time machine and a soapbox, I'd like roll up to my like like seventh grade science class and be like, everyone, shut up! You're doing it wrong. Yeah.
I wish, yeah, I wish I had studied, like, ecology and economy. Like, they should, I mean, that's coming out. There's ecological economics programs. But if imagine if you had, like, double majored in ecology and economy. But even then, it wouldn't have worked because most, like, conventional economics programs are actually finance and capitalism, not economics. Yeah, exactly. Like, something I should have mentioned in the, like, tasting notes thing is supply and demand. Like, that is seen as the, as real as gravity is supply and demand and actually supply and demand is a phenomenon that occurs within a very specific type of economic system like it's not it's not the kind of foundation that that we tell people it is Mm -hmm. and a lot of ecological economics or or rather what i heard them called was environmental economics which has its own kind of connotation it was always super tenuous and it was always just about like walking the line and allowing growth to happen, but also kind of being like, well, you do have to like not kill the environment at the same time. So like the environment as this thing outside of your house that, you know, yeah, you're not part of that. That's something. No, no, it's a, it's, it's like, don't, like, you know, we have a dog. You just got to remember to feed it every once in a while. Like, just don't, like, don't step on the cat's tail. Don't mm-hmm. kill the environment, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, I almost took an environmental economics class. And I was, like, honestly, I'm already too stressed out. Like, this is literally just about trying to fit, like, pegs into things that don't, they don't fit in. Mm-hmm. And pretending that it does. And pretending that it's stable when you just kind of gently rested the peg on top of the hole. And you're like, I did it. Yeah. So, yeah, but ecological economics, like, actually, like, feel ecological economics in terms of, like, actually pairing economy and ecology and, like, nesting them and bringing them together feels much more, like, I don't know, it feels like Prozac in <laughs> some weird way. Yeah. So. And it's becoming more mainstream, which is great. Yeah, our our patron saint Jason Hickel. <laughs> um, yeah, and like Kate Raworth is like doing her rounds, like she she's doing the Lord's work, even though she's not explicitly anti-capitalist, which I think is very interesting. interesting. I mean, I'm like, wasn't that fine? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm.